So, so today's daf is Tetzayin, and we pick up with um, um, Gufa. It is uh, six lines down uh, from, uh, from the top of the daf, and the discussion had been about um, using, the Mishnah had mentioned using the legs of a bed for schach, and assumed that those were makabal um, and the Gemara got into a question, how are detached legs from a bed um, susceptible for tumah? They're not part of a, this wood, and wood needs a receptacle, and it's not even part of a vessel now, it's a broken vessel. So it related to a debate where, uh, about, um, in a Mishnah, in Caitlin, about a broken bed, or a bed taken into part, not broken, because actually we're talking about a disassembled bed, um, and that there's an opinion that it actually, um, even in a disassembled state, or partially disassembled assembled state could still become Tamei because it's going to be reassembled as Tosos points out and because it can somewhat be used in its current state and that would be the case that we'd be talking about with half of a bed with two legs attached. So that's just explaining the Mishnah. Now the Gemara, however the Gemara suggested a very different explanation. The different explanation the Gemara suggested is not that now it can become Tamei but since it once was a vessel it remains considered for laws of Sukkah invalid Schach meaning it's no longer able to become Tamei if it's a, no, if it's a broken vessel or a detached or you know, no longer usable, but uh, maybe it still remains in Valtzach because of its history. Maybe that just can, you know, labels it for life. So that now is the issue the Gemara is going to turn to. So let's take a look. Gufa. Let's go back to the original statement and look at it in greater uh, focus. Amar Rabbi Ami Bar So this was Rabbi Ami Bar said. If you use worn out vessels or worn out clothing, as the Gemara will explain it, psula it's still invalid, even though these are no longer uh, um, able uh, susceptible for tumah because they're no longer wearable or usable. They're no longer halacha considered a vessel nevertheless it was once a vessel and it was once a clothing and therefore it remains invalid my claim what do you mean by that what's the you know be a little more precise so it says Amar matlaniot like rags that are not even three fingers width by three fingers width they're not fit either not only for for wealthy people you wouldn't use them even poor people wouldn't use them <coughs> what does this mean what is the minimum size of a piece of cloth that's considered to be usable and therefore makabel tumah so the Gemara actually has three different measures one is three tfachim by three tfachim which is ba- which is like a foot by a foot or a little bit less let's say nine inches by nine inches the other is three fingers by three fingers which is about I don't know, an inch and a half, two inches by two inches. Okay, and it says that the bigger size, if you're wealthy, anything less than three thousand by three thousand, you throw out. So for you, it stops being a vessel. But for a poor person, they're going to use a smaller size. What are they going to use it for? They're going to use it for patching. You know, they'll patch up their clothing. So, but so therefore, and it's smaller than three thousand by three thousand. They'll still use what they won't use is something that's smaller than than three fingers by three fingers. That's already so small, it's not even usable for them. Again, this becomes very interesting, the, uh, the uh, gendered language of the Hebrew, the gender nature of the Hebrew language, and the, thankfully the fact that the, some of the different measurements switch between Zohar and Akeva. So when the Gemara talks about these things, we will talk about Shalosh al Shalosh, or Shlosh al Shlosha, which is very different. Shlosh al Shlosha is three tfachim by three tfachim, because tefach is masculine, so it's Shlosha, the numberings are sort of reversed from the gender of the word. Shlosh al Shlosha is, means three tfachim by three tfachim. Here we're talking about a, sm- a very small piece, Shalosh al Shalosh, three fingers width by three fingers width, and that is so small nobody would use it. So even though we're at a stage that you've got a piece of cloth that is so small nobody would use it, 
and therefore under no measure would it be considered a vessel nevertheless it is still puzzle for schach because it once was considered a kli once was considered clothing okay so that's a very important halach for schach that you can't even use broken vessels or things that once were 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 were, were um, so the now says right and you can imagine scenarios like that like I said you you know you're walking by the street and somebody's throwing up the garbage and there's a whole broken up table into pieces of wood oh and it grates it's look at tomorrow you gather up some of the wood right so it actually is a problem based on this teaching okay so the Gemara says like this Tiny Gavati to Ravami Bartivyumi. We talked similar to Ravami Bartivyumi. Machatzel Shel Shaifa. If you have a mat of Shel Gemi of different types of of different types of like uh, of material. Um, I don't know how do they translate it. I didn't look it up. But one is like a is it sort of like a, 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 a weave or a. a Rushes, sedges, and rushes. Oh, now sedge of rushes. That's oh, no, I'm sorry, sedge or rushes. Sedge or rushes. Okay, papyrus so and reed grass. Papyrus reeds, right? Some type of a reed, a wicker, a wicker uh, mat. Okay, what's the halacha? Shereha afal pishenifchusumi kishura emesachim b'hem. So, if you have sort of the remnant of it. So, like, it's a little leftover piece of mat. It broke up, and you're left over with a little section of mat. Even though it's smaller than the shear, meaning the normal shear here, not a shear for schach, but a shear for tumah. Okay, the normal size for tumah that you need um, that you need for mat to be considered a vessel and usable for tumah is six tvachim by six tvachim, which is pretty big. It's like a foot and a half by a foot and a half. Okay, a mat smaller than that, you don't use. So even though you've got this remnant of a mat and it's smaller than the size for being a vessel for Tumah and it's not fit for becoming Tameh you still cannot use it for Schach. So basically the exact same halacha the clothing applied now to a vessel to a mat. You have a mat it started off the size of a big enough mat to become Tameh now it's so small that it cannot. Nevertheless you cannot use this piece of it because it originated from a vessel, <coughs> even though now it is no longer susceptible for Tum'ah. Machatzel uh, Takanim, now that we're talking about this, if you have a mat made out of like um, uh, sticks or uh, reeds, um, reeds I should say, if it's big, you can use it for schach. If it's small, you can't. Now that should strike you as ironic, because until now we've been talking about the larger the size, the more it's considered a vessel, the more it's considered to be able to become tameh. But this is actually a larger discussion we're going to have in a few days, which is, and this is extremely important, because now everybody uses these schach mats. You know, you roll up these schach mats, and the, well, is that a, is that makabal tumor not? I mean, you could use one of those things. Before they started making them, you know, large scale for sukkah purposes, you could go into your Home Depot and get a similar type of a bamboo mat. Now, what would those be sold for? What would people use those bamboo mats for? So often they use it for sitting. Sometimes they might use it for a wall, like for a screen, but they might use it for sitting. So that's the question. If you have a mat, do we say that it's a kli, it's made for sitting, and therefore it's makabosuma? Or do we say it's made more for like putting on your roof, putting up on a wall, and therefore not a kli, and therefore not makabosuma? So the Gemara says it depends on the size. A small size, you know, sort of big enough for one human tush or maybe two or three or whatever, you know, that's a mat. When it gets to be very large, people don't use it for a sitting mat. They use it for a wall. They use it for a roof. And therefore, it's not in the Kabbaltuma, and therefore, it's kosher. 
it's quite fascinating. The bigger it is, in this case, the more it defines it as a different type of a thing, not a vessel, but a piece of, uh, you know, structure, and therefore not in the Kabbalah and therefore acceptable. Okay, so that's the point. Gedola misachin ba a big one you can use it. Ktana ein misachin ba small one you cannot. Rabbi Eliezer Omer afi mekabelas tuma ve misachin ba even a big one I disagree with you. It's usable as a mat for sitting on, and therefore it cannot become. It, you can it's 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 fit for becoming tamei, and therefore it cannot be used as kosher schach. So more of that later. But the upshot for us is that um, once something started as a vessel, it remains invalid for schach even though it is no longer a vessel. And now we go to the second part of the Mishnah, which is digging out a sukkah from a haystack, and you wind up with walls and with a um, with a roof made out of hay, so it should be okay. But the thing is, you never put the roof on. The roof got made sort of by itself, indirectly, when you removed the inside of the haystack. And that is the, the classic problem of ta'asev lomina asua. You have to make the sukkah that can somehow be pre-made, you know, made, you know, sort of indirectly, not through a direct act of being made. And again, sukkah here refers to the schach. So let's take a look. Amarav Huna, Lo Shanu, this is, we only taught that this was a problem. Ela she'en sham chalal tefach. That it did not begin with a space, with a volume of a tefach, with a cavity of a tefach. The meshach shiva going the length of seven by seven tefachim, which is the minimum size of a, of a sukkah. Aval yesham chalal tefach, the meshach shiva, if there starts with a cavity of a tefach going seven by seven, harezet sukkah, it is a sukkah. What does that mean? It means the mission is talking about your standard case. The standard case is, you've got a haystack, it's all hay, and you come along, right, and you're going to hollow out, you know, your sukkah from it and take it out, and then you've made the schach indirectly by hollowing that out. Okay, but let's say, it didn't, it, when it started, it didn't start as all hay. It was all hay here, but it started, and you have, for some reason, it's hard to imagine exactly what the scenario is that you've created this, you know, how physically this happened. Maybe you put the hay on top of some type of a chest or something. Imagine Actually, a low line. the picture here is on top of a platform. Okay, right. So you had some type of a platform and you dumped your haystack on top of it. So here, in the sukkah, you've already started with a, a cavity of seven of... Uh, that's actually should more look like a square but let's imagine seven by seven fachim and one tefah high and then you put the haystack on top of it so now the question is when you initially put the haystack on top of it maybe you did the making of the schach because you put the schach you put the hay on top of a cavity that's the size of a sukkah area it's like problem is only a height of one tefah so is that making the schach because now it's over an area of one tefah and when you finish it, you're just fixing up the walls. Or do we say that doesn't yet count as schach? To be schach, it has to be higher than ten tefachim. It has to be over the height of a sukkah. And he is saying that that actually does count as schach. In wow. this case, if you have something that's this, and you put the schach on this type of an area, seven by seven by one, you made schach of a sukkah, because now a tefach of one, as we know, is considered an ohel, like a tent, like a roof, for purposes of tumah. So therefore, it actually is making something that is considered schach. And the fact that it's not high enough, okay, that's the problem with the walls of a sukkah. It's a problem with the dimensions of the sukkah, but it's not a schach problem. You have kosher schach on a not high enough sukkah. Okay? So let's take a look at that Gemara. Aval yesham chalal tefak v'neshach shiva harezeh sukkah that is valid. Tanin amihachi mitat. Similarly, hachotim pegadish v'asot lo sukkah harezeh sukkah. We have a brighter that teaches the opposite of our Mishnah. It says it's kosher harezeh sukkah. So the Gemara says, 
Our mission teaches it's no good. So rather than saying it's a debate, and the lav shmamina, it must be here is the reconciliation. Kid Ravuna, like Ravuna, that the brighter that says it is good is talking about that it started with. It's so funny to leave out that tiny little detail, which is so bizarre. But okay, it's talking about a scenario where it started by one seven by seven by one high, and then it's kosher. You made an act of making kosher schach, and then you finish by digging out the rest of it. You obviously have to dig out the rest of it. You need ten shvachim by ten shvachim. But you started by an act of kosher schach. Um, Shmamina, that's a good proof. Rami Le Mirma. Some say that Rafuna's statement didn't start as a commentary to the Mishnah. It started by de- dealing with the contradiction. What was the contradiction? Tanah. Our Mishnah says, in a sukkah. If you dig out, it's not a sukkah. The Hatanya, Haraza sukkah. We have a bright that says it is. Ravuna, so comes Ravuna to say, I got the answer. Lokasha, it's not difficult. If you started with a hollow of a tefach, the Meshach Shiva by seven by seven, then you made a kosher schach, and then just dig out the rest to make it ten by ten, to make it ten high. The Mishnah is talking about there was no hollow to begin with, and therefore your act of digging out was an act of creating schach, but it was indirect, and therefore it's tasev velomina asue. There's a very nice little tosvos that does a, you know, sometimes a thing that uh, Achronim like to do is say, Rishitoso, right? Like, oh, often they say it by the Rishonim. They say, you know, this Rishon, you know, who says this and this Gemara is, far, is going to take the same approach in another Gemara, and you see how these ideas are all connected, which is, okay, that makes sense. People should have consistent ideas across, and, across different areas. But it's fun to see where ideas, like, connect, and they're consistent applications of the same idea. Here, Tosus does that, by a, an opinion of an Amora. If you take a look at Tosvos, he says, four lines down in the wide lines, he says, We could say that Ravuna, who says it's kosher schach when it's over an area of one tefach high, is going to based according to the reason he said earlier. Damar La'el, he said like about six days ago, Gabe bein sukkah, bein sukkah is sukkah tefach. Remember we had the halach question of a sukkah on top of a sukkah, two schachs. And the question was, how high does it separate does the second schach have to be from the first so it can get that identity of an independent schach and be defined as a schach and guess what Ravuna said once it's a tefachayer it's already defined as schach and therefore it's the problem of sukkah under a sukkah so says, look at that Ravuna's consistent he says that once it's a tefachayer it already has the identity of schach not necessarily the sukkah's kosher yet but it has an identity of schach Okay, and then he says, So points out that it's not, you know, you could be more machmir there than you are here. I mean, let's say Shmuel, there says ten fachim. But Shmuel says, why do you need ten fachim? Because Shmuel says, it's not enough to say schach under a schach. You have to say sukkah under a sukkah. So, so it says, okay, you know, Shmuel in theory could agree here. Because here, there it's an idea of sukkah, you need ten tefachim. Here it's an idea of schach, maybe he would agree. So it's interesting connecting those two debates, and then he deals with the four tefachim, which is more complicated. But the interesting point is, the same Rav Huna who there said it gets an identity of schach, when it's one tefach removed, here too says it gets that identity, you made a kosher schach, and now you just have to finish the walls. Okay, this, by the way, gets to this question that was asked the other day about about when you put, let's say you put your schach on top of your sukkah frame before making the wall, right? Is that You made it before the walls were, before the walls were up. Um, so that actually is debated in the Akronim, but this Gemara makes it sound very clear that it should be okay, because this Gemara is almost the same in reality. You had kosher schach, 
the way it's being framed is that the walls weren't high enough, the walls weren't ten and they were one tefach walls. You finish making them into ten tefach walls, and it's fine. Once you put up, the, once the, right, so the schach could be put up before you had the full walls. That's certainly what this Gemara seems to be saying, so that should make it okay. You might want to make a distinction. At least here you have the beginning of a wall, you have a one tefach wall, as opposed to the frame, you don't have a beginning of a wall at all. But anyway, it is an interesting question about, you know, do you, when you put up the schach, do the walls have to be kosher? This Gemara certainly says, even if the walls are just one tefach, you can finish the walls afterwards. Yes. Scott has to shade most of the sun. In this case, Scott is shading all of the sun. Right, so we discussed that. What defines the schach to be so thick and permanent that it's no longer schach? So Tosus basically said it is not the fact that it lets in sunlight, it's based on another Gemara's fact that it lets in rain. Yeah. Okay. So I would think a haystack would let in rain. Yeah. Um, okay, so, <laughs> yes. So you are right. So you're so you're correct. Because in this case, right, what's going to wind up being the schach at the end is going to be this space over here. This stuff here isn't going to be the schach. But in a way, you could say fine. But when you put this whole, you know, this whole mound of hay over it, all of this was schach. It was very thick schach. So even though you're removing the bottom part of schach, all of this was schach over the one tefach area. And you're still keeping the top part, and that was also initially schach. Right? When we say you have a tefach area, you put this on, we're saying all of not just the bottom layer of schach, all of this is kosher schach, and then you remove the middle section. But right, but that would be okay. Rashi compares it, by the way, to the case where, you might remember before in the Gemara, you had a nine tefach sukkah, and then what you did, what you did, was you dug a hole here, in the floor, right, and made a tent fucker. Mm-hmm. So there too, he says, look, you, you start, the schach can be kosher and the walls finished later, right? So that's what happened here too. The schach was kosher and then the height was finished later, which means they became walls halachically after the schach was put on. You don't have to do that uh, ritual of raising it. Oh, oh, raising and putting down? Yeah. Correct, because it was put up kosher when it was put up. No, that's I mean, the whole point. Right, if you did, if you, did, you built the circle and, and, and then you put the walls. According to this, it would seem that the most op- direct application of this to a case of putting it on the schach first and then the frames is you would not have to lift up the schach again. Okay, you might want to make a distinction if it started with a tefach wall as opposed to starting with no wall. But the simple application of this is is that you can have the, you can do the making of the schach before there's any wall, before there's a wall. Okay, so let's take a look now at... But, you know, I would first put up your walls before your schach, okay? <laughs> Don't get into a machorkas, all right? But that's... The, anyway, but that's what this Gemara seems to be concluding. Let's take a look now at the next Mishnah. Hamishal Shadafan is talking about walls. If you are lowering down your walls, right? Imagine you basically have like a curtain that you hang up near the top of the schach and you lower it down, okay, so that's just, uh, Mishal shows the word for lowering down, you're, but you're, you start at the top, and you lower your walls down towards the floor, the walls down, so this is an idea we know, we've heard of, if it is more than three tfachim removed from the floor, it is invalid, why? Because you cannot say, lovud, within three tfachim it's like it's connected, three tfachim or more, I shouldn't say more than three tfachim, three tfachim or more, it's no longer considered attached to the ground, and you need your wall to be attached 
to the crown. Okay, it's interesting, by the way, that it seems to be just a straight application of the Lovud principle, but there are places where the Gemara specifically also refers to its inability to function as mechitza, because it says three trachim or more, kid goats can go underneath it. Um, and that's interesting. It also sort of makes it a, a specific mechitza idea, and not just a general Lovud idea. Like, if you can't even stop animals from running under it, you can't call it a wall. Okay, but more simply, it's a simple application of the Lovud idea. In, 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 Right, right, exactly. It's the same discussions in Ergen. Okay, so that so it has to be attached to the ground. It has to be within three trachim of the ground. Now, nomatu lamatla. Let's say you're building your wall from the floor up, and it's, it also has to reach the schach. In gavoa starts fachim chair. Once it's ten fachim high, it's kosher. It doesn't have to touch the schach. Why not? Even though it does, in principle, have to touch the schach. Well, this is that's the normal way it's understood. And in principle, it has to touch the schach. You got here. Okay, this is a very common case in the Gemara. Okay, you've got here your schach. Your schach is up here, but your walls are only, you know, are only, you know, only at the bottom. Right? Right? Is it kosher or not? So the Gemara says, once these are ten schach, then it's kosher. Okay, you got your sort of scenario. It's not a sukkah, it's not a sukkah. It's supposed to be just poles. So, <laughs> okay? So why is it kosher? So you could say, because you couldn't really say, the walls don't have to reach the schach. You have kosher schach, you have kosher walls, mm-hmm. they're under the schach, right? So it's not like they're not under the schach. Maybe that's enough. Maybe it's under the schach is good enough. It's a, it's, if it's higher than three tzvachim, it can't be called a mechitza because things can get through it. Once it's connect, connected to the ground, and it's within three tzvachim, or it's within three tzvachim, and it can be called a mechitza, <coughs> and you have a kosher mechitza, under the schach it's okay. That's normally what you would have said, or I don't know, you might have said that. The Gemara, though, you might remember, has the idea of the, what I've called, well, the Gemara calls it good achis, and good achis, let's remind you, these are the classic, what I call the magic principles in Sukkah, and Dofen Akuma. The Dofen Akuma, you remember, I call the magic bending wall. You have Pasul Schach, you look at your Schach as a continuation of your wall. These are the magic extending walls. Okay, so good achis, by the way, it's interesting what the word good means. Rashi says the word good means to stretch, um, but also good also sometimes means a wall. Okay, yeah. so anyway, so good achis, but then the next phrase is good achis mechitza. So anyway, so it means stretch your wall down, or, good, take your, or have your wall go down, or good achis, your wall stretches up. So this is the magic, right, you know, you know extending wall down. <laughs> and this is the same one to be magic extending wall up. So once you say you have a, a mechitza, then you can say good osik, and we envision the mechitza going all the way up. And that's why it doesn't have to touch the schach. Not that in principle it doesn't have to touch, which would have been one way of saying it. In principle it has to right, be adjacent to the schach. The only problem is, the, only, the way you do it is by saying you imagine the wall going up. Now, uh, the uh, astute person will say, one minute, if you can imagine the wall, once you have ten tzvachim going up, and it doesn't have to be close to the schach, go ahead, what are you going to say? Right, what was the problem in the beginning of the Mishnah? Mm-hmm. Let it be less than, let it be more than three tzvachim, you've got a ten tzvach wall, let it extend down. Well, guess who says that? The next opinion. Reb Yossi Omer, the same way ten tzvachim is enough from the ground and it doesn't have to reach the schach, once you get ten tzvachim going down, right, you have a mechitza and then imagine it continuing to extend down. The rabbis disagree. The rabbis say it doesn't start to be called a mechitza unless it is the basic idea of a mechitza is a wall at the ground level. 
That's the basic concept of mechitza, not a suspended wall in midair. So it only gets an identity of a mechitza once it's connected to the ground. Once it's a mechitza, then it can extend up. Rabbi Yossi disagrees. Rabbi Yossi says any tent fachim of some horizontal plane is a mechitza, and therefore even if it is high, it can go, you know, down, it can go down to the, it, it, it can be high off the ground. Interesting question for Rabbi Yossi, and we'll get to this, is by can you do this twice? Right, let's say according to Rabbi Yossi, you had your wall like this. <laughs> Could you extend both up and down? But anyway, he allows you to go down as well as up. The rabbis say, no, there's a difference. It has to start by being connected to the ground. Okay, so let's take a look at the Gemara. What's the debate about? One holds that a suspended mechitza makes the space allowable. It does not make it allowable. Now, the word materes is a strange word, right? You would have said, it's a mechitza. You would have said, maybe it's machshir, makes it a good sukkah. What's the word materet? So the point is, this is a debate that is borrowed, or an ish, uh, a language that is borrowed from Hilchus Shabbos. Because the other ma- one of the other major places <coughs> that mechitza matters is in, in, you know, the Gemara, is in Hilchus Shabbos. A space that, you know, has mechitza ten tefachim high, is a rishus, you know, three walls, three and there's four, or however many, and it's a rishus hayachim. Right? So that is, so what, let's say, you have a suspended mechitza, high off the ground. Can you carry in the space below? Is the space below Rishusha Yachid or not? So there is a debate of mechitza tluya materet. The word materet comes from that discussion. Will it make the space within the mechitza permissible, meaning a private domain for Shabbos? But it, it, the Gemara is assuming at the end of the day it's the same debate. Does it count as a mechitza or not? If it counts as a mechitza for Shabbos, it should count for sukkah, vice versa. The Gemara will question that in a minute, but now we are assuming that it's the same question here would be the question by Shabbos. Is a mechitza matruya materet? Does it make the space permissible? And now we're going to see that debate. Tanan Hasa. We talked over there in Ervin. Bor shebein shtei chatzerot, eim nimbalin mimenu b'shabbat. Elim ken asala mechitza asarat shvachim. If you have a well between two courtyards, and each courtyard has made a separate Eruv, and you cannot carry from one courtyard to the next, um, so, and, but, but what, unfortunately, that's, okay, fine, don't carry from one courtyard to the next, but you got a well that's on the borderline between the two courtyards, and it's in the space of both of the courtyards. Uh, so, don't fill your water from it on Shabbat, because even though the wells are Rishut HaYachid, what's the scenario? The scenario is, Here's courtyard one, right? Here's all the houses, right? You didn't know you have to take drawing 101 for us to, uh, <laughs> to, to give the document. Here's courtyard number two, okay? Right, but here it's houses. I should have drawn it in a different color. Anyway, okay, fine, whatever. And right here, and they have walls around them, right? So there's walls that make it a Rishus HaYachit, all right? But right here in the, um, in the space between courtyard one and two is a well. And don't go ahead and draw water from it on Shabbos. Because why? Because you'll be taking stuff from the other courtyards. Right? You're not allowed to carry from one courtyard to the next because there's no area between the two. Each one made their own area. Each one is a Rishut HaYachid. They're separate Rishut HaYachids. You can't carry from a Rishut HaYachid that is not part of your area into, into one that is. So if you draw water, the water at the bottom is part in their courtyard, part in yours. And it's always moving around. So you're going to be taking stuff from their courtyard into yours on Shabbos. You can't draw water from it on Shabbat. Okay? That's what it says. Elohim came, but here's the way you can do it. Unless what you did was, 
Asala mechitza serat fachim bein melmala bein melmata. Unless you made a mechitza in the well, whether high up or below, bein betoch ogno, whether right underneath the um, the the um, the lip. Which means what? We'll do, do a different view of it. Okay. We'll view a. Let's see how I'm going to show this. Okay. Here's your well. Looks like a bucket. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Here's your well. There's the water. Okay, and this, that's the dividing line between the courtyards. Like that's one courtyard, this is courtyard A, this is courtyard B. Okay, people get the picture? Mm-hmm. Now, there's a wall, and naturally there's a wall between the courtyards. So naturally there's a wall that goes like this, and the wall actually goes over the well. Okay, so you, that's the scenario. So that, that's not good enough that there's a wall over the well. If you want to draw water from this on Shabbat, you have to make actually a wall hanging in the well itself whether it's below, right next to the water, whether it's above, right under the lip, the wall has to be in the well itself, then we'll view it as though the wall goes down and separates the water, but otherwise the wall up here doesn't work. Now, you will say, what is the difference? The wall Mm -hmm. is still not at the bottom of the well, it's not in the water. Either way, whether it's here or here, you're still saying that we envision it as though it goes all the way down, okay? So what difference does it make? Why not use the, the wall on top? So the answer is because the Chazah, look, water, we take water totally for granted, but anybody that's ever following things that are happening in developing countries, you know, still knows, you know, in, in Israel, in Israel too, of course. But I mean, I, I don't just mean the rainfall water. I mean just the ability to get water to where you are, right? We take that, you know, indoor plumbing completely for granted. You know, and, and, you know obviously in the time of Chazal, it was a major thing to have access to water. So what they said was, on Shabbat, so they make particular leniencies to allow you to, act, to access water on Shabbat. So one, one ca- classic example is you've got a uh, body of water below. You're, uh, you know, you're, you have, you're up at your house, you know, whatever, right on or an apartment building. Well, you're on a ship also. Anyway, it's right by the water. You have a body of water below. Okay, how do you draw water from it? That's a Carmelist University of Yachin. What you do is you have your balcony and you make a little... Which is a yucky, you know, sort of box on your balcony, and we envision it as though it goes all the way down into the water and becomes a Rishusha Yachid in the water so you can lower your bucket through this box and draw the water. Okay? So those are special leniencies we do to envision a walls going down and creating a Rishusha Yachid in the water to allow you to have access to the water. And the, 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 the phrase for this is, Kalhu, that's not L because of being from. Kalhu, Shehikilu Chachamim Bimayim. Okay, they allow the, you to view, view walls going down and be lenient in order to give you access to water. So, we will say that by, I could use, use a different color, we will say that if you make a wall specifically for the purpose of the water. If you go ahead and make a wall for access to water, right, then we'll say, oh, we'll be lenient, we'll view it as though the walls go all the way down, and therefore to give you access to water. But this wall is not made for access to water, and therefore we're not going to apply that lenient principle up here, even though we will apply it over here. Okay? Is that that clear? So that's why the mission says you can do it if the wall is within the well, like we let you do it by making a little, you know, hut out on your balcony. Um, If you're specifically for the purpose of getting access to the water, we'll give you that lenient. Shout out to the picture book for your review for this. Uh, exactly. <laughs> okay. So, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, 
No, he says this is the debate of Beit Shammai Beit Shalel. Beit Shammai only milmala. Beit Shammai says you can have the wall even high up, but meaning not above the well, but in the well near the lip. You can only have the wall, water, the wall right near the water. It's not good if it's higher up. So that would make Beitilo the Machmir. And that's a little strange because this isn't listed in one of the things where Beitilo is Machmir. So if you look at Tosvos, he says, So in Erevin, in all of the manuscripts that Tosvos has, the Gersa was the opposite. That Beit Shammai was the Machmir and said the wall had to be by the Wa- by, the, by, the, by the water and Beitila was the Mako and said the wall could even be higher up in the well ok so he says this is a debate of Beitila and Beitila whether it can be low whether it can be high up in the well I'm a Rebbe Yehuda now Rebbe Yehuda is the interesting position for us this wall why does this wall have better powers than this big wall up here if it works for the wall in here it should work for the wall up here so meaning, what is Rebbe Yehuda saying? Rebbe Yehuda is saying, I don't need a special leniency by water. I think, says Rebbe Yehuda, you can use this wall to envision it going all the way down. Which means for Rebbe Yehuda, there's a general principle that a wall can extend down. Do people see that? That was the purpose of all of this. Because whatever you say in here, that's a special water halacha. Okay, but Rebbe Yehuda says, even the wall up here works. Which means Rebbe Yehuda thinks a general principle is a wall that's suspended over your ground floor, because this is the relevant ground floor here, the bottom of the well, that a, a wall that is suspended can go all the way down, even as a general special halacha, without being made particularly as a leniency for water. Okay, and therefore that seems to correspond to what's going on in our Mishnah, the debate of a suspended wall. So let's take a look. Amar Rabba so says, look, this is the debate. The same way Rebbe, Rebbe Yehuda says over there, by Shabbos, a suspended wall works as a general principle. That's Rebbe Yossi who says a suspended wall works by Sukkah. So that's the debate. It's the same, it's the same position. So Amar Rabba Barbachan, Amar Rebbe Yochanan. So Rabba Barbachan says his name Rebbe Yochanan. Rebbe Yehuda Bashitas Rebbe Yossi Amra. I'm sorry, Rebbe Yehuda Bashitas Rebbe Yossi Amra. Look, Rebbe Yehuda uh, in the discussion in Erevin is Rebbe Yossi in our Mishnah. Damar Mechitza Tliya Materas. That a suspended Mechitza works. So that's, you know, again, Materis is more of an Arab and Shabbos word, but that's Rabbi Yossi's position, that's Rabbi Yehuda's position, it's the same position. The Gemara says, the Lohi. Gemara says, no, not necessarily. And not necessarily, you might say it works for Shabbos and not for Sukkah, it works for Sukkah and not for Shabbos. Why, what's the, why would that be? Lo Rabbi Yehuda suffer like Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yehuda might not hold like Rabbi Yossi. It could work for Shabbos without working for Sukkah. Lo Rabbi Yossi suffer like Rabbi Yehuda. And Rabbi Yossi wouldn't necessarily hold like Rabbi Yehuda. It could work for Sukkah without working for Shabbos. What's the logic behind that? Lo Rebbe Yudas have a look at Rebbe Yossi. He wouldn't tell the Rebbe Yossi that it would work for Sukkah. Atkan lo kamer Rebbe Yudas hasam ele be'iruve chatseris derabana. Rebbe Yudas only willing to say that for an eruv chatseris purposes, right? It's not like it was a biblical question. Both of them were rishus hayachids without this. It was only a question of allowing you to draw water from the well. It was only a rabbinic problem of taking, uh, you know, an object from one rishus hayachid to another rishus hayachid. So fine, for rabbinic purposes, he'll, let the, he'll say a suspended wall will work. But here that you're dealing with a biblical question of sukkah, lo, he wouldn't allow this. He'll allow a suspended wall for rabbinic issues, not for biblical ones. That's why he wouldn't necessarily agree by sukkah. The low Reb Yossi like Reb Yudah, and Reb Yossi won't necessarily hold like Reb Yudah. I can look on Reb Yossi, hacha. Reb Yossi only says it works by sukkah. Why? Ela besukkah. The mitzvah say. Because at the end of the day, the worst Avera you could do in terms of Hilchosukkah 
is not be Mekayim Yorasei. Right? You can do everything wrong, and at the end of the day, I'm not talking about the yuntav of Sukkot, you know, but the sort of mitzvah, Sukkah and Lulav, is you wouldn't have done your mitzvah Sasei. As opposed to Shabbos. Shabbos, it's a world full of big averas. Okay, so, <laughs> so he says, I'm on Shabbos, this is Shila, love. Shabbos, where there's a lot of, you act punishable by death, it's big availance by Shabbos, even though this is a rabbinic application, yeah. we can be very strict in the laws of Shabbos. So, in the end of the day, the Gemara does not have, you know, what I think could have been a more interesting conceptual difference between Shabbos and Sukkah, right? If you wanted to say there's a difference between Shabbos and Sukkah, you might want to say, well, by Sukkah, it's not just being about a machitza, it's about being a wall, maybe there's a different status about being of a wall than a Sukkah. If you want your Sukkah to be considered a habitable space, maybe it has to go all the way to the ground to be considered habitable. You could have made a conceptual distinction between the two. So, Gemara just says the distinctions just could be how stringent or lean it is. So might, we, we might consider the Shabbos case more lenient and allow it there because it's only a Durabanan. We might consider the Sukkah case more lenient because it's a world of only a Mitzvah Faseh and not a world of Isr Skiwa. So you could pop in one case, not the other because of stringency, leniency. But again, it would have been interesting to explore that maybe it's different because maybe the criteria are fundamentally different. Particularly the idea that sukkah to be the machit has to be more functionable, functional in order to make it a habitable space that might have more demanded that you don't just use a suspended machit stuff. Okay, so now the gemara continues. The intomar one minute we're going to tell you about a story about uh, uh, th- uh, there's a famous story that happened in Sipori which you'll find about in a minute now Sipori as we all know I'm, I'm teasing is Reb Yossi's town okay Reb Yossi was the goddle of Sipori so now and we're going to have a story on Shabbos where they, a thing happened in Sipori and they used a suspended machitza to let them carry okay now the Gemara assumes this is good evidence that Rabbi Yossi about Sukkah would apply his law by Shabbos. Because the Rabbi Yossi in our Mishnah says a suspended wall works by Sukkah. And there's the same story in Sipori that they used a suspended wall to carry on Shabbos. So you see Rabbi Yossi does use his principle of Sukkah to apply it to Shabbos. So Apini said, no. On whose authority was that done? Lo Api Rabbi Yossi. That was not done on Rabbi Yossi's authority. Ella Api Rebbe Yishmael Bi Rebbe Yossi. It was his son whose authority was. Rebbe Yossi had already passed away, and his son was the one who gave the ruling in Sipori. So you cannot prove that Rebbe Yossi would have applied the same principle in both cases. Maybe his son applied the principle in both cases, but Rebbe Yossi, we only know, applies it in Sukkah, maybe not by Shabbos. Now we're going to see the story of Sipori, which is a very fun story. Umam Maisa, what was the story? When Ravdini came from Eretz Yisrael, Amar, he said, One day they forgot, and they did not bring the Sefer Torah from before Shabbos into the house in the courtyard that they were going to use as a show. And that's a big problem, because you can't, you got to get the Sefer Torah to where it has to go. Okay, now, the issue again is, by the way, not the way Rashi explains it, it's not a Doraisa problem, but it's a Rabbanan problem. It was just a Yaku problem. He says, imagine you've got the following scenario, right? You've got your Mavoy, which is your basically your street, okay? And out of your Mavoy comes various courtyards, and each courtyard has its houses, okay? And basically what you had here was, was that the Sefer Torah was in this house, and the Beit Knesset was over here, the other side of the Mavoy. 
Now, normally, right, if the Maboy had was a dead end Maboy and uh, whatever, normally, you know, you could carry if it's a Rishusayate, except if you want to carry into the Maboy, you have to make a Shituf Maboy. You need rabbinically everybody to come together, shared loaf of bread, same idea of carrying in the courtyard. Okay? You didn't do it. So, what are they going to do? Right? You can't make a sheet of Mavaot on Shabbos. So you could say everybody should go over there to Davin. But okay, maybe it was too small. So anyway, what they did was they put up curtains from one house to the next. Now, how does that work? It's already a Rosh Well, how does that help? It helps because the reason a Mavoit is no good is because it has multiple houses opening into it and it becomes like a public space until you do that shituf. If you put up these walls, the only houses are the, the one that has the show on the base method. There are no other houses that enter into that space. So it's not a public type of a space that needs a shituf. And so that's how the walls now allow them to carry the safer Torah from one space to the next. Okay? Isn't that creating a... Uh, an yeah, right, meaning how are you really allowed to create a Rishisha Yachid and to put up yeah. So the Gemara will ask that question, okay? Let's take, let's, let's take a look. But, but that's what you went down and did. So, um, so, Lamacha, the next day, pierces Sadinim Agabeha Mudim. They spread out, uh, um, you know, cloths on the, on posts. Apparently they had posts. Um, the Hevius Sevatara, and they brought the Sevatara of a Karibo, and they read from it. So the Gemara says, okay, so that was the story. So the first Chiddush is, for some reason, the Gemara assumes that these sheets are, are suspended off the ground more than three Tvachim. Right? Because that's how, why it brought it into the discussion. Why it assumes that, who knows? I mean, maybe they just knew the story. And the story was, was that they were suspended high. So the re- relevance of this, remember, is that, ah, you see this case, those things were suspended, they allowed you to carry, that's the position that a suspended mechitza works. It's Rebiosi by Sukkah applied to the Shabbos case. Okay, so that was the relevance. But now the Gemara is going to say, fine, put the mechitza through your issue aside. Let's see how they really managed to do this. So the Gemara says like this, Pierce um, uh, the Did they literally, how could you say they spread the, the, the curtains, uh, the curtains? Where'd they bring them from? Ella, right, meaning how did they get the curtains there to begin with? You can't carry in that space. So how did they get the curtains to start? So the Gemara says, Ella, rather, you have to say, um, they found that there, that there was actually these things spread on a curtain and, that they, and therefore they carried it. Which is a little bit funny because they found a, a, a perfect thing exactly the way they needed it, but maybe it means that they moved it. Like maybe they found the stuff, but also moving it. How do you move it if you don't have a Rishos HaYachin and so, if you don't have... So it's a little bit funny now that we sort of have set, described like, oh, they discovered it all set up. Excuse me, we're going to the discussion that we're having here about, because earlier the opinion was that the wall that was there you didn't need to extend down, because on Shabbat you could intellectually right. extend it down, right. right? So this could be like they didn't have Kabana to create a Mechitza. Somebody hung up their laundry. Uh, right. And then they said, you know, right, so, but, right, but so it, it wasn't the established. Before well, I'm going to get to that issue about, about Kabana in a minute. But I want to, so, but, but, um, but yes, I'll get back to that in a minute. But I want to say first another thing about what the Gemara's question was. Rashi says the Gemara's question was, how did they get the cloth there? So it says, that's not a problem. You're creative. You don't have Mechitza. How would you get, um, um, you know, some, some type of a cloth from one place to another? Or let's say, what could you use that you could get to from one place to another? 
Uh, the, the, the post, the top post would be a makom fatur. No, no, no. Your clothes. You wear clothes. Ah. Why don't you just wear some big shawl, walk over there, and then take the shawl off and spread it? It's not from how they got it there. So it says the problem is, as we're as we saying, and there's actually a girsa that says, how are you allowed to do this? You're making an OL on Shabbos. Yeah. Now, you're not making an OL in the sense of a roof, right? That's been our focus of OL. But you're making part of a building, you're making the walls of a building. So that was the question. Not how did they get the curtains there. How they spread the curtains, right? That was your question, right? How they spread the curtains and make a halachic wall and make a wall on Shabbat. Okay, fine, they found curtains already spread. Okay, which is a little bit, again, you know, hard to understand. You know, all, they discovered exactly things spread the way they needed. Maybe it's like your point. Somebody had laid out their laundry. And they said, hey, wait a minute. We can, oh, that's what you're saying. We can use this laundry line here. And then, you know, you, you wind up doing that on Shabbos, right? Wait, we got this fence. We got a bush over there. We got it. Okay. It works. So, so maybe that, that's a good explanation of what it means they found. They figured out that they could use that. And that also, laundry would be a good example of mechitza pluya. Right. You have to have like big uh, cloaks or whatever, you know, on your laundry. Okay, so that's the explanation. That, by the way, is a very important question of are you allowed to make a mechitza on Shabbos? Because Rashi says, he, Rashi crossed out the girsa that said, how are you allowed to make a, to make a, a OL on shops? He says, of course you can. It's a mechitza. Mechitza isn't an OL, and OL needs a roof. Rashi crossed out that girsa. According to Rashi, you can make walls on shops. Okay, not with mortar and, you know, a brick, but whatever. You can hang things up. Tosa says, no, it's a problem. But Tosa acknowledges that there are other Gemaras that sound like it is okay to make a wall on Shabbos. What's the difference? And Tosa introduces a very important principle in Hilchot Shabbos that you cannot make, it's not that you can't make any wall. You could, like, suspend uh, something for, I don't know, you know, you have a nice, uh, um, you know, a nice tapestry and you want to, like, you know, suspend it on a line and look at it or whatever, you know, you want to even use it as, you want to create a private space, You're, you want to change in an area. So you spread out these cloths so it's like a private space so you can change, you know, you can change. Privacy, all that, that's fine to make walls on Shabbos. What you can't do is, you can't make a wall that halachically, it, it serves the halachic purposes of a wall. You can't make something, a mechitza hamateret, a mechitza that makes the space permissible. That's more of an effective status change of what that wall is doing, and that's what's not allowed. So here, because the mechitza made the space permissible, that's the type of wall you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to make. I'll just read you the one sentence in Tosos that says that. He says like this. He says, um, if you take a look, four lines in Tosos, or five lines before the lines get to be the medium size, the word lines up with the word Lirabenutan. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. So he says, mm-hmm. a wall can also be an ohel. A problem. When the mechitza serves the function of making the space permissible in a halachic way, and that's why it was made, it's not just it happens to do that, then that is the problem. So you can't make a wall to serve a halachic function, you can make a wall to serve another function on Shabbos. That's actually how we pass in, yes. And yet I've seen people putting up mechitzas in Shabbos in order to daven. Right. So that is, that works because we say that the function of a mechitza for davening is more functional. It's like the privacy scenario I gave you before. So it uh, allows you to daven, but it doesn't halachically create that idea of a, of a, of a different type of a space. Okay, the problem is when the wall is there to halakhically make a status change in terms of the, the nature of the space. Whereas the, that type of mechitza for davening, the way it's allowed on Shabbos, is that we emphasize it's basically there just to create privacy. 
Okay, the reality of creating privacy is it does allow you to dive in, but that's its function, and its not function is halachically to serve. If it was halachically to serve as a mechitza, you would only need 10 tfasim, and you wouldn't need it to go higher. So it's actually interesting. People that are, there are some people that use a 10 tefas mechitza, there are some shuls that still do, a few OU shuls still use 10 tefas mechitza, and that would be, so if you only use a 10 tefas mechitza, you can't make it on Shabbos, because, <laughs> because then you're applying to it the normal laws of mechitza, and that is actually a problem, yes. Yeah, Rabbi Mel Sachs told me that he heard personally from Rav Soloveitchik that mechitza had to be 10 tefas high, and I saw Rabbi Yehud or Herzl Hanking publicly yes. say that it's Yes, Rav Hankin says Rav Hankin says ten Spachim is really sufficient. But he also yes. said they also said that it can't be it can't be a fabric mechitza. Well, it can't be suspended off the ground. Yeah, he, he, it's exactly one. this issue. If yeah. you want to make the mechitza for davening into a classic halachic mechitza, it has leniencies and stringencies. Yeah, right. Cool. Okay. So let's keep. On, let's continue. So the says like this. Um, okay. Oh, by the way, one other final interesting side point I should make is I was doing some reading on um, the ancient synagogues. I mean, if you have the patience for it, there's this great book that has everything. It's called. It's called ancient. The, is it called the synagogue or something or ancient synagogue? It's like. 800 pages thick. It's by Lee Levine. It has, not Lee Levine. Lee Levine? <coughs> might be by, oh, I think Lee Levine. Anyway, it has absolutely everything about ancient synagogues. Anyway, so it's interesting that the older synagogues, there was no place for the Sefer Torah. Old, you know, only sort of like, I don't know, our old, third century, fourth century, did they start being an Aron in a place for the Sefer Torah. So it's actually, and some of the interesting literary, ev- I mean, that's clear from the architectural evidence, although I might have the centuries off. But some of the literary evidence to that is a story like this. They didn't bring the Sefer Torah from Arab Shabbos, which means that they naturally kept the Sefer Torah in a different space than the Shul. And we don't find any evidence of Aronot in the Shul, <laughs> except for, you know, except in sort of later period, later maybe Tanaitic period, not super late, but you know, not in an earlier period. Okay, so the Gemara says like this: um, So remember, I just said to you before about the question about going both ways. He's going to have it go both ways, but with lavud, not with extending, because we don't pass them like Rabbi Yossi. We say you cannot do a suspended wall. But if you have a a, a mat that is four fucking wide, four and a little bit, you can be that's good for your sukkah. Here's your exact ten tefach sukkah. And what you're going to do is you're going to make a map that is four and a half go right over here, right in the middle. So between between that and the ground is right is 2.9 falcon, and that to the top is 2.9, right? So combined, you do the math, right? Three, three, whatever, six, right? And the extra half covers up the point one, and therefore you've got your whole tenth falcon. So you basically do a love loop to the bottom and a love loop to the top. Okay, maybe we have to do it more like that, right? And therefore, you can do the whole sukkah with a with a mat that is four tefachim wide, okay, or a little more than four tefachim because love is a little less than three. arbo matu four and a little bit. Where am I? Materes the sukkah mishum dofen as a wall. Hey, how do you do it? Tolile beemsa. You put it smack in the middle of the wall, assuming an exact ten tefach sukkah. Within a little less than three tefachim off of the ground and a little less than three tefachim off of the sukkah. You get to say love it in both ways and you have your wall. This cheetah, isn't that obvious? 
I might say you can say one love, but you can't do it at both ends. Tanash Milan, that you're able to do both. We will see later how often you can, how much you can use multiple ones on top of one another. But here, anyway, they're at opposite ends, and therefore it works. Meisve, um, I'll ask you on this. Shiva Umashu Mishum Dofen. We have a brighter that says you need it to be seven and a bit. Presumably, you can only use one lavud. You can't use two lavud. No, says no. That's talking about a big sukkah. Umay Kamashmolan, what's it teaching us? Like Rebiosi. Meaning, when would you need a max seven? You would need a max seven if your sukkah looked like this. Okay? You can't say love with it both ends. Okay? But you put it up here and you say love it up here, then you have, so if it's seven, right? If it's seven and a half and you're saying love with it, then you got ten swapping. And then, but, that, but then you have to extend it down. And that would only follow with Rebbe Yossi. So according to the brighter that says seven and a bit, that's, that's assuming it's a big sukkah. If you put it down here, everybody, by the way, would agree that it's good. And there's one gear that Rafi says has of the Gemara like that, that it's not about Rebbe Yossi. If you put it down here, you said Lovud, and then it extends all the way up. You use Lovud plus Dofen Akuma. Gudasik. You see that? Right? You see, you see that? You use love to give you ten, and once you have a wall, then you say good offspring. Okay, so that's the easier case. But our gear of the Gemara says maybe we're even talking about a bigger kiddish. That you put it up here, you said love and then you said good office, and but that is only Rebbe Yossi would say that because that is the idea of a mechitza suspended off of the ground. Okay, so that would be the kiddish of the right of seven and a bit. Let's just finish to the end of the daf. Um, okay. Um, I'm a Yossi, pas arba arba. Now, a machasels, a math, means something that is running sort of widthwise. And they were doing it, you know, off of the, off of the stock and off of the ground. He talks about a pas, which also talks about a plank of wood, but somehow that signifies something that's going vertically. Okay? So you have a vertical plank of wood that's sports fucking umashu in a bit. Matir besuka mishum dofen, that works. Because what is the minimum, you know, size of each, of each uh, length and width of a sukkah? What's the sukkah people paying attention? Seven, seven, seven by seven fachim. So if you have basically a sukkah that is, right, a seven tefach wall, and what you went ahead and did is you put a mat here. I'm not good at this. Anyway, you have, whatever. Anyway, you put a mat that's four and a half, and it's within, well, that's why you have to do it. Ah! You have one wall here, okay? You have, let's say, a little bit of another wall. You have your one in a masjidu. And where is going, and but now what you did for your, for your critical second wall is you put a fencing four and a half here, four and a masjidu, just calling it a half. Well, if it's within three tvachim, 2.9, you can say lavud, attach it. The total is more than seven, or is seven. And now you've got your two walls and a masjidu, okay? And therefore, it's good. So... Um, you put it within three tefachim of the wall, and then it works by lavet. So what's the chiddush? The chiddush is that the minimum size of a sukkah is seven tefachim. Okay, funny way of teaching me the minimum size of a sukkah is but that's the basic chiddush that is embedded in that halacha. All right. Oh,